Let me encourage you to join me in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. As we continue our study in 1 Thessalonians, as Paul writes this letter, we see this section is broken down into a few categories. You have the separation, and you have the visit from Timothy. You have the report from Timothy, and then you see what happens after that. I'd like you to join me in prayer, please, as we begin this particular study. Father, I pray that you'd help me right now to focus on you and to be able to share your word in such a way that all of us who are reading this word together would recognize your voice, recognize your teaching, your leadership. Father, that we would see what you want us to see in this passage and that we would live it out in such a way that would not only glorify you, but point others to you. This we ask in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's begin in verse 17. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. One of the things that I want you to see here is that they were torn away from the Thessalonians. And the reference to this goes back to the book of Acts. And I'd like you to turn in your Bible to the book of Acts because there are two words that I would like for you to pay special attention to, especially if you like to mark in your Bible. In Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 1, when it talks about Paul and his team coming to Thessalonica, verse 2 says that they went in as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. And the word here that I want you to grab is the word proving. That any time that we are sharing the gospel, we're preaching the word of God, we must be proving that this truly is the gospel. That we are proving that Jesus Christ really is the Son of God, that He really is the one who has died upon the cross, been raised from the dead, and now is back in heaven praying for you and praying for me. He says there that this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. So the first thing is I want you to see the word proving. Then jump down to Acts 17 verse 10 and 11. When Paul and Silas go to this new area, which is Berea, look what happens. It says, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the Scripture daily to see if these things were so. So in addition to the word proving that I wanted you to emphasize in that first passage there in Acts, now look at the word examining. They heard the word, 
They received the word with eagerness, and they examined the scripture daily to see if these things were so. I want to encourage you, regardless who your pastor is, your priest, or whoever's listening to this, I want to encourage you to always take your Bible and examine the scripture to make sure that what you have heard is from the Bible. And this, as I say always, this is why I give you so many references, because I want you to see what God's word says and not what man says. He said that they were examining the scripture. When you go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, as we think about verse 17, when he says that we were torn apart from you, this verb that he uses for torn away means to be uh, separated, uh, to make uh, uh, an orphan out of somebody. And this is easy to understand because in 1 Thessalonians 2, 7, Paul said, we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. And in chapter 2, verse 11, he said, for you know how like a father with his children. So he had, he had expressed this parental type relationship with the people there in Thessalonica, loving on them. We, we already saw that he not only gave them the word of God, but he also gave them themselves. He wanted them to have Paul and Timothy and Silas as, as uh, family members, as loved ones to share. That's why he says in verse 17 that we were separated for a short time in person, but not in heart. It wasn't one of these out-of-sight, out-of-mind situations. They were constantly praying for them and thanking God for them and so forth. He says, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. And then I want you to notice the last part of verse 18. The four, for, the four words there, but Satan hindered us. And I want you to think about this question. Why did Paul say that Satan hindered them instead of saying God must have had other plans? And the answer to that is, which way is it pulling you? And, and I've always told you this. Any situation, when you've got a decision to make, ask yourself, which way is it pulling you? Is it pulling you to glorify God or is it pulling you away from God? Is it pulling you to glorify yourself? In this particular case, had they gone to Thessalonica, they would have done what? They'd have gone there to encourage them, to establish them, as we'll see in a few moments. But Satan was causing a hindrance we know that uh, these hindrances are put in our lives to test our faith, to, to make us stronger. God uses all things for His glory. And we must look at these things and say, okay, there's a reason for this. This is why we're going through what we're going through now. So that God can take us and, and, and make us more like Christ. So I ask you, any time that you are going through a problem of any type, 
ask yourself, how should I respond in this? Should I be thinking that this is from God and, and go towards Him? Should I recognize that this problem is because of my sin and repent of it? What's, what's the source? In verse 19 and 20, Paul said, For what is our hope or joy of crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus at His coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. And I want to ask you the question, why would he say that they were his glory and joy? Why would he say that they were his crown of boasting? The word crown here means uh, whatever serves as an adornment of source or source of pride. And the word boasting means that obviously to be proud of. But they were, they were not proud of themselves. They were proud of what God was doing in the Thessalonians. We can go back to chapter 1 and see this in chapter 1, verse 2 to 4, where he said that we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mention you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfast of hope in our Lord Jesus. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. You look at chapter 2. Verse 13, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as it really is the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So he was saying that our hope, our joy, our crown of boasting is the praise report, is the thanksgiving that they were giving in response to what God was doing in the hearts of those in Thessalonica. So we go to the visit now. Chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that not one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we were destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when, we, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. You see in verse 1 the word therefore, pointing us back to what he was concerned about, showing us, okay, because I was worried, this is what I did, I sent Timothy. In verse 1 and verse 5 you see the phrase, when we could bear it no longer. When Paul talked about what he went through as far as the physical abuse, how that he was beaten with rods and how he was whipped and how he was put in prison and all these other things that happened to him, at the end of that list, then he says, and on top of all this, the care of the churches, the concern for his churches, his church families, his fellow believers that he had led to Christ and been working with. And we see here that he is obviously uh, concerned about them. When we could bear it no longer, we had to find out what was going on with your faith, he said. 
in verse 3 he says that we wanted to make sure that nobody was moved by these afflictions. For you yourself know that we are, and look at the word there, we are destined for this. When we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we would suffer affliction. There are some people, for some reason, who want to teach us that uh, when you become a Christian, you don't have any more problems. And that is so far from the truth. If that was the truth, then Paul was definitely not a Christian because Paul constantly had problems. But since we know that that is not the truth, in fact, when, when Paul was called by Jesus to become a preacher of the gospel... Jesus clearly says, I must show him all that he must suffer for my name. And so we look at this passage of Scripture, we see that Paul is saying once again that we are destined for this. We are going to suffer. Jesus says that you'll be hated because of me, you'll be persecuted because of me, you'll be insulted because of me, and when this happens, blessed are you. I want you to see something else here, too. In verse 5, when he says that uh, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow, somehow the tempter had tempted you, this word fear is not the same word fear that we think about when Paul wrote, for God has given us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Because in that verse, the word fear means a lack of mental or moral strength or a cowardice. But in this verse that we're reading today, this word fear is translated, for example, in the King James Bible as saying, lest by some means. In other words, he was saying, I had to find out if you were still on track with your faith. In other words, to make sure that nothing has kept you from being what you're supposed to be in your faith, that you hadn't been tempted and, and caused to, to stumble because of what you're hearing or what you're going through in these afflictions. And he ends that part with the phrase that he wanted to make sure that their labor was not in vain. Now, we have to remember that this letter is being written all together before it's given to the Thessalonians. And we know that if you go back to chapter 2, verse 1, he's already identified the fact that he knows that the coming to the Thessalonians was not in vain. It was not without purpose or result. But as he's writing this letter, he explains that I was uh, sending Timothy to find out this, and praise God, we got a good report from this, which is what we're now going to see in verse 6 and 7. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, and has brought us the good news of your faith and love, and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers... In all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. So as you look at this passage now, the report that Timothy gives, he calls it good news. He, he's, he's very excited to hear what's going on. And what has he heard? He's heard that they have the faith and the love that they were supposed to have. They were continually remembering Paul and Silas and Timothy with affection, longing to see them again. And Paul says in verse 7, for this reason... 
because of this good report that I'm hearing, he says, we have been comforted through you and through your faith. We've been comforted about what we were concerned about because now we know that you are enduring. You are moving forward in your faith in spite of what you're going through. So then in verse 80 says, For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. And in the New American Standard, it says standing firm or stand firm in the Lord. And the idea is this. He's saying that we can now, we can rest. We can no longer have the anxiety that we had. That's what this word live means in this particular verse. The removal of anxiety. We, we were concerned about it. We could not wait any longer. We sent Timothy to find out. He comes back with a good report. And because we have this good report, because we see that you're standing firm in your faith, we now have that anxiety removed away from us. We have a sense of peace now. If, if you're a parent of adult children, and your adult children are living for the Lord, you know the joy that you have because of that. You know the, the, the peace that you have. And, and if your children are not living for the Lord, and, and they're doing things that you know that are sinful, uh, you have that sense of, of turmoil, that sense of, uh, of tenseness. Paul says, we were very comforted and thankful for the fact that we have learned that you are doing what God has called you to do. We have no more anxiety about that. We are thankful. And he turns into a moment of praise here in verses 9 and 10. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we might see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. First of all, this idea of thanksgiving and joy in verse 9. To paraphrase it, Paul was asking this question. How can we ever thank God enough for what he has done in you? Paul did not take this as an opportunity to brag upon himself or brag about his team, about how wonderful they were and how godly they were and what great teachers they were. He was emphasizing what God had done in the lives of the Thessalonians. He was praising God for it. He was not building up his own kingdom. He was focused on the kingdom of God. He didn't say, look at me. He was saying, look at what God has done in those people. It really bothers me when churches, conventions, associations do anything that says, look at us and how wonderful we are. If we are to brag about how many people we saw come to Christ as if we did it, if we are to brag about how much money we gave as if that was the, the standard that we should live by, if we were bragging about anything, that is so ungodly and it is so disturbing. Paul did not say, look how many people I made a Christian. He didn't say, look how many dollars I raised while I was there. He didn't say, uh, look how many uh, things we did as a team. He said, look 
at what God has done in them. And then in the last part of verse 10, he says that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. He didn't say that they were lacking faith. He wanted to help them in their faith. So it would be the same thing as saying, okay, to the people of the Thessalonian church, what can we do to help you be more uh, consistent, more uh, strong in your faith, more uh, obedient to God? What can we do to help you? And then he closes this section of the, of the Scripture with a, a benediction, asking God to do two things initially. Now may our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another for all as we do for you, so that He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all His saints. So the two things He asked initially, may our God Himself direct our way to you, and secondly, may the Lord in, make you increase and abound in love for one another. May God enable us to come to you, and may God enable you to love one another more and more. And the reason, or the result that he's looking for, is that, that God would establish them as far as their hearts blameless in holiness. Now, here's the question. How can God make somebody blameless in their hearts when Jeremiah 17, 9 clearly says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick? And the answer is clearly this, through Christ. Apart from Christ, your heart definitely is wicked. Your heart is deceitful. Your heart is filled with sin. But through Christ, when you are giving a new heart and a new mind, because you're a new creation, you're giving that spiritual nature, and we are told in Galatians 5.16 that if we walk by the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So Paul says that your hearts can be established blameless or faultless, in holiness, and that is done through the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. When we sin, instead of letting that sin stay unconfessed and unrepented of, we confess our sins and we repent of our sins, then we receive the forgiveness that was made possible through the cross. God saved us, and He says that He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins when we confess them. So in, in looking at these verses, there are four questions that we got to deal with today. Four questions of application, and as we go through these questions, we should be answering them both as an individual and also as a church family. Let's think about these questions as an individual and as a church family. The first question is this. When Paul was emphasizing what God was doing in and through the Thessalonians, we got to ask ourselves today, 
what does God see us focusing on right now? Are we focusing on Him, or are we focusing on the world? Are we focusing on our possessions? Are we focusing on buildings and, and budgets? Are we focusing on uh, God and His mission that He's given us to, to preach the gospel? The, the second question talks about Timothy giving Paul the good news about their faith and love. If Timothy was going to give a report to Paul about you and me right now, what would he say? Would he say that we were living out the faith correctly? Would he say that we were loving one another like we should be? The third question would Paul say that we were standing firm in the Lord? Or would he say that our faith was wavering? Would he say that we were not walking by faith, but walking by fear instead? And then the fourth question, based upon verse 12, would Paul say that we were increasing and abounding in love for one another and for all? Are we increasing in love or are we holding grudges? Are we judging people? Are we casting people aside? How do we respond to that? That's the focus of today's lesson. Timothy gave Paul a great report about the Thessalonians. But what if he was talking about you and me? Let's go to God in prayer. Father, thank you for the reading of your word and help us this day to respond in a way that shows that we recognize your authority and your holiness and your will. Speak to our hearts. And if anyone hearing my voice is not yet a Christian, I pray that you would convict them of their sins and call them to repent and believe in the gospel. And for everyone else who are Christians, Father, lead us in this time of devotion, this time of commitment. Father, that we would lay down any hindrance any excuse that is keeping us from being what you'd have us to be. And Father, we ask this in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen.